0: Production support for EarthEats comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillReshInsurance.com. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. This week on our show, we're hearing stories from the local food scene here in Bloomington, Indiana. From coffee shops to garden towers to tacos and bakeries, we're asking how businesses are adjusting to the COVID-19 restrictions. Stay with us. President Trump has signed an executive order to shore up the country's meat supply. That comes after thousands of meatpacking workers have contracted COVID-19, causing some plants to shut down, even as others remain open. Meatpacking companies have put a hodgepodge of safety measures in place in response to the outbreak. As Harvest Public Media's Christina Stella reports, some employees still worry about their health.
1: When employees at the Smithfield plant in Crete, Nebraska, clock in, they might pass a flyer taped up by the locker room. Some will stop to read it, if it's in their language. Hundreds will miss it while hustling to work. According to employees, this is how Smithfield communicates with its staff during a pandemic. I just feel that's wrong. You walk by
2: it, you read it. If you don't see it, then you don't get the information.
1: That's a worker at the Smithfield plant. She didn't want her name being used for fear of losing her job. Workers and advocates across the region say companies haven't been clear with workers about how the pandemic is affecting their plants. She says that's made a scary few weeks even harder to navigate.
2: Communication is a big key during something like this. I am very grateful that I am working and I have a job right now, but it's just very stressful
1: nebraska's COVID 19 policies don't include large employers like meat packers eric reader president of local united commercial food workers 293 wonders if that's because some policies like social distancing or relaxing attendance rules could hurt a company's bottom line
3: unless you lay off workers and slow the lines down it's very difficult to be able to separate actually on the line and i think that at times Production takes a primary focus over worker safety.
1: Until recently, there weren't any federal or state safety guidelines for meat packers. Reader says policies initially ran the gamut.
3: None of this is uniform. we were negotiating with each plan, and so we end up with this hodgepodge, and every location is different in some way.
1: Those discrepancies have impacted workers in various ways. Some packers issued raises, and others gave out extra sick pay, no questions asked. Some, like JBS in Grand Island, Nebraska, initially wanted a positive COVID-19 test and rolled out bonuses for anybody who didn't miss work during the pandemic. At least 40% of the area's cases are now tied to that plant. One Cargill worker in central Nebraska was sent home for two weeks for coughing at work. She also didn't want her name used for fear of losing her job. She didn't have COVID-19, but was told the company only offers 10 days of pandemic leave.
4: We did have to cut back into my savings to actually make it through the week. And now I have nothing. I paid my bills and my car payment, and now I'm waiting on next week's paycheck. And I'm lucky if I'm going to get one.
1: Now, if she actually gets sick, she has no safety net. That's a terrifying prospect for many workers.
4: We don't want to take it home to our families, but we can't go without a paycheck either. We wash our hands so many times a day. I think my hands are honestly cracking.
1: Mickey DeVitt at the labor advocacy group Heartland Worker Center hears similar stories all the time. She says getting information to workers about policies and outbreaks is high stakes. It's about more than just workers.
4: If employees don't know what the agreements are, and it's behind closed doors what these conversations are covering, there's not accountability to the employees, and there's not transparency to the public about what is going on in these meatpacking plants that we're all relying
1: on. In a pandemic, the fate of any meatpacking town is tied to what's happening at the plant. Plant closures are devastating to towns and national supply chains. That's why officials like Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts wants to keep them open. And some advocates say closures could have been avoided if companies had done more sooner, either on their own or at the urging of officials. Now that many meatpacking plants are COVID-19 hotspots, companies and local health officials are scrambling to contain the outbreaks. And in late April, the CDC recommended companies separate workers, install physical barriers, and expand sick leave policies. But workers are still frustrated that they haven't been included in those conversations around their own safety. Now, for themselves and their families, all they can hope is that they don't get sick. Christina Stella, Harvest Public Media.
0: Find more from this reporting collective at harvestpublicmedia.org. While it may be next to impossible for workers in meatpacking plants to keep a safe distance at work, locally, food businesses are insisting on practices to keep their workers from contracting or spreading COVID-19. This week on Earth East, we're hearing from several local food businesses about adjustments they've made in response to the restrictions. Though restaurants and cafes can no longer host customers inside, since they provide food, they are allowed to offer takeout and delivery. When things started to shift in mid-March, Two Sticks Bakery on South Washington in Bloomington quickly moved to takeout only and closed down their seating
5: area.
4: People were still entering the space. And so I realized that this wasn't going to last. And we either needed to decide to close or we were going to have to go online. The week earlier, I was like... I do not know how to set up an online store. I'm not setting up an online store. And literally that the Sunday, the 22nd, I was like, we have to do this. We have to at least try.
0: That's Amanda Armstrong, co-owner of Two Sticks. They use Square for their point of sale service. And Square has an online store system.
4: So I spent Monday playing around with it, figuring it out. Tuesday, we opened with online ordering.
0: They quickly moved to taking orders exclusively online.
4: Which is frustrating for people who didn't know and would just come, or if they're older, or if they don't have internet access, it would be sometimes hard to explain.
0: It had to be all or nothing, both to reduce physical contact, but also to keep track of their inventory in their system.
4: So we're just completely... Online orders only at this point, no phone call orders as well.
0: The next question, how's business?
4: So we have kind of a goal number in our mind. We know what that number is that we need in order to make a profit, not just break even, but make it worthwhile to be open. So that whole first week, I was definitely paying attention to the numbers and we exceeded them every single day. And I mean, every every day since then, It has been amazing, like extraordinary numbers for regular times, let alone carry out only quarantine times. It's been incredible, incredible.
0: A few days after this interview, they posted on Instagram a request for patience from customers. Apparently, Two Sticks sells out on their online store within minutes of opening at 7.30 a.m., In a way, it's a good problem to have, but it makes for some unhappy customers, and some of them are quite vocal. Luckily, there's plenty of grateful and supportive customers, too, who are just happy that Two Sticks is making it work in the midst of a pandemic. And speaking of making it work...
5: We're still in business.
0: (laughs) Pilar Gonzalez of Pili's Party Tacos has made some changes and remains open in downtown Bloomington. They have a taco truck parked outside of their recently opened storefront on South Walnut. Their storefront offers groceries, so customers are allowed to enter the store to shop for food. But to keep things contact-free, they have a new payment system.
6: Touchless, your car close to it and it will take your payment.
0: That's Armando Pioquinto, Pilar's husband who's also involved in the business. So you can stop by their spot at 109 South Walnut to place your taco order, And while you're there, you can pick up some spices and other ingredients for Mexican cuisine, or choose from a selection of Mexican breads and pastries from Indianapolis. They're also taking orders over the phone. They call Uh, me.
6: They call. We get it ready. We don't have any delivery service. We don't know how to navigate in that area. We only have pickup.
0: Pilar says she also doesn't want to have to charge more for deliveries or use a delivery service where customers would have to pay more. She knows that a lot of people are short on cash right now, and she wants her food to remain affordable. Business is definitely down by about 50 to 70 percent. They would normally be entering the busy season for food trucks as the weather warms and outdoor events are planned.
5: We, before this happened, we started hiring a lot of people for events coming in.
0: In recent weeks, a couple of apartment complexes in town have invited them to bring their food truck to the parking lot to serve residents for lunch. This has worked out well with everyone observing the social distancing and getting a break from working in their home offices. The storefront, which they're calling Peely's Party Deli, had only been open for about three months, and they were beginning an expansion of the space to the room next door.
6: The planning for this other space is to have more seating area, tables where you could actually sit and, you know, chat with somebody in front of you.
0: Ironic that they were in the midst of making a space for people to gather and sit together while enjoying their tacos. When a pandemic hit, shutting down that possibility, before they'd even placed the chairs and tables. After a short break, we'll talk with Jeff Grant from Hopscotch Coffee about the significance of tables and chairs for his business. Stay with us. Production support comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976 owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio Hopscotch Coffee on the Beeline Trail in Bloomington is a place where meeting, sitting together, and enjoying a carefully curated interior space is part of the vision. Jeff Grant, co-owner of Hopscotch and Rainbow Bakery, Has been asking himself tough questions about what remains when you strip that away.
7: It just really makes it all about the product and to some degree the service, whereas we've always taken a great point of pride in like our interiors and creating an exciting, comfortable place to be. It's just it's interesting when that's completely removed. (laughs) I came down here one night and removed about half of the chairs so that are guests could space out.
0: At first, they thought they could set up the cafe for social distancing.
7: Coming down here at night and taking out chairs, it just felt antithetical to what we do here, which is try to fill seats and have this be a place where people can meet up with their friends. So yeah, coming here in the dark of night and taking the chairs around was, it was emotional. It was hard to do. It felt like I was also sabotaging our operation here. Pretty soon after that, within a day or two, we decided we needed to just fully shut down. You know, kind of st- strategize rather than just keep making adjustments on the fly and try to educate ourselves as much as we could as to how we could be safe. When we were closed for those two weeks, we spent one of those weeks just kind of sitting around, confused about what to do. It wasn't like we closed down and really immediately went to action. We were stressed out and unsure of how to proceed. And it was like you woke up in the morning feeling like you had an idea of the best way to proceed. And by the time we went to bed, it was just, everything was uh, up for reconsideration. We were depressed, (laughs) like we were, were not our normal, somewhat cheery selves, you know, just kind of like making the best of this situation. Like, it was tough.
0: When they opened back up, they did so with extreme caution. Employees had the option to stay home if they chose, and they took all the precautions to keep staff and customers safe. They take orders and payments online or over the phone. They prepare the orders, and customers pick up on the covered patio. It's a two-person operation with one employee in the middle of the room near the door and a barista preparing the drinks behind the counter. They can carry out the process while maintaining the required distance between each other and with customers. The orders are placed on a table on the patio, and the employee goes back inside behind a closed door. All staff wear masks and gloves.
7: Because we serve food, we were declared essential, and we were luckily able to open back up. But even that was something we questioned. We were like, okay, well, legally we're essential, but are we? Like, is it is it worth it? <laughs> We've had customers that work at the hospital that we were able to talk to, and they were very reassuring and saying, you know, no, this is helping people cope, <laughs> and it's really helping people get through the day, and that really feels important right now, if we can do that in a safe manner. I don't know how to say this, but like, our customers are, you know, they're regulars, and we, so we appreciate them on that level, but it also feels like a a really specific cross-section of people that come here, we're not a Kroger. We don't see everybody. You know we see a variety and a diversity of people here. These are our friends. it's our business community, and it felt like more than that. So thought of like directly putting all those people in danger, it just didn't seem like anything we wanted to play around with.
0: Just down the trail from Hopscotch is Cardinal Spirits. I spoke with co-owner Jeff Woolsich about how they have adapted to the new conditions.
5: You know, we've been fortunate here at Cardinal Spirits, we've always done some carry out, and we've had our bottles to go and bottled cocktails to go and cans to go. So we were able to pivot pretty quickly to that.
0: They also quickly began making hand sanitizer.
5: As soon as we saw that we had the ingredients and that there's starting to be a shortage on it, we started making it. Uh, And we've been able to give it out for free to individuals still every day. We give out free small bottles or they can fill up their own bottle. And then we've been able to provide to uh, first-line responders initially for free as well. And then now we're in a position to make enough that if organizations can buy it, we ask them to pay for it. And that helps pay for our labor, our workforce, of course, um, and then allows us to keep giving it out for free. Mm -hmm. Initially, we were making it from our own high-proof spirits, Mm -hmm. which was expensive and painful. (laughs) And, and, And now we're making it with denatured spirits and... It's an alcohol that has an additive in it that makes it very bitter so that um, people wouldn't drink it. So it's really preventing kids or anybody else from alcohol poisoning. So it tastes really terrible, but that's okay because, you know, we're not drinking it. It's unusual for Cardinal Spirits to make something that tastes terrible, but uh, (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Um, We've been able to source that. It's actually made in Indiana. We're getting it by the tanker. We got a tanker this morning, and we're able to... Um, use that in our products.
0: The other strategy they adopted was to announce on social media the minimum they needed to sell each day to keep going.
5: Here's the bottles and the canned cocktails and the cocktail-to-go mixers that will keep our team employed. We we set those goals early in the morning and then we we let people know when we've met those goals and we say, you know what, we're good. Go support another local business. You know, our costs are covered. Um, Thank you for the support. Almost every day we've met our goal. There was one day that we didn't meet our goal and it was okay because we also did a huge giveaway. Big Red Liquor's given us $5,000 to hand out hand sanitizer. I mean, we had a line down the street handing out gallon jugs and small bottles. And I think that may have kept uh, some of our regular customers away. So that was like the only day we didn't get it. But I think the rest of the time, we've been really very fortunate to be you know, meeting our goals. And with that, plus the hand sanitizer, we feel like we've been in a, a good position to support our employees and the community.
0: Bottles of alcohol and canned cocktails work really well as takeout items. A hot plate of vegetarian poutine? Not so much.
3: To me, going out to eat is about the whole experience of going out to eat. It's not just picking up some food. Toby Foster
0: is one of the owners of The Allery, a vegetarian restaurant on the square in downtown Bloomington. Toby doesn't believe what they have to offer in their cozy spot translates well to a takeout model.
3: The whole reason that that we wanted to open a restaurant and do a restaurant in the first place is because we like going out to eat. I think we have a great wait staff. I think that we have a really inviting atmosphere. I think we have a great beer selection. The feeling of the feeling of everybody being there, working a busy shift, and getting people getting people their food right when it's made, and you know, having that like team spirit kind of thing that happens in a restaurant at a on the good nights, um, you know, it's really great. I don't know. It's just not very fun to to go to work and you know you make something and it's good and it's hot and then you put it in a box and watch it sit on the table for 25 minutes until somebody comes to pick it up and you're just thinking like, wow, that sandwich was probably really good 30 minutes ago, and then they come and you have to still charge them 11 dollars or whatever.
0: He was also unhappy with all the disposable packaging they were sending out the door. And more importantly, he wasn't certain that they could run a takeout operation while keeping the employees and customers safe from contracting or spreading the virus.
3: We, you know, have delivery people coming in, so we can do a lot to try to keep everything safe, but then you still have to have these other people coming in that have been to, you know, who knows how many different restaurants between here and Indianapolis or here in Chicago.
0: So after trying takeout for two days, when the stay-at-home order came down from the governor, they decided to completely close.
3: Really, I think that everyone, at least as far as they expressed to me, was pretty on board with that decision. I think a lot of people already had expressed to us that they didn't want to be working, either because they were nervous about getting the virus or had family members that they were nervous about spreading it to you or things like that. So, like I said, most people seemed to think it was the right, the right call.
0: Toby Foster and co-owner Ryan Woods advised their staff on applying for unemployment. They also organized an online fundraiser selling totes and t-shirts with an original design from a former employee. Toby says they have strong customer support and people were very generous. They raised around $6,000 and distributed it between their employees. I spoke with Willow Laganza, an IU student who works at the Allery. She said the extra cash came in handy during those weeks before the stimulus check arrived and unemployment kicked in. She was worried about having to use money she'd been saving for medical expenses. But money wasn't the only issue for her.
6: I felt frustrated and a little at loss because I live just in a studio apartment and it's on the ground floor. So it's just one room. And as things got more and more locked down. I started feeling like a little more and more stir crazy. It felt kind of strange waking up to the same wall every day. I miss going to work. I miss seeing all of my coworkers and like I love all of them a lot. Um so it's kind of sad. <laughs> it's kinda of sad that such a such a crucial point of social interaction for me. That's really the best job I've ever had. I I every time i go in there i just see a bunch of people that i like and i get to say hi to everybody and everybody works really well together so i feel really grateful for that place so it's sad it's really sad not being able to go there but luckily i have family up in indianapolis and just a, a day or two ago i just like threw a bunch of clothes in my car and called them and made sure i was like hey have we all been quarantined and they were like yes we would love it if you came up so Luckily, I've been able to come up here and stay with them, and that has been super nice.
0: She's been busy with schoolwork, playing guitar, reading, and taking long walks. Her semester will be over soon, and she'll have more time to kill.
6: I am really looking forward to when the Owlery can open again.
0: Since the restaurant is completely closed, the Owlery can keep expenses pretty low and hopefully ride this out. Toby talked about some ideas they're tossing around if the shutdown goes on too much longer.
3: We talked about maybe doing some sort of like pre-ordered meals where once or twice a week we do like kind of big family style things that people could pick up. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe something that we would think about, think about moving towards in the future.
0: He's thinking of a model that would allow for just one weekly supply delivery or grocery store run, where they aren't wasting food and maybe packing meals in larger containers so there's less disposable packaging. I asked Toby how he was feeling.
3: I feel like there's not a whole lot I can really do about it. And I am, I think I'm fairly good at accepting situations that I can't do anything about. So I'm just trying to let myself be patient and know that we'll figure something out at at the point where, I don't know, at the point where that's possible.
0: We've been talking with food and beverage producers, but another industry that has noticed a shift during the pandemic is garden suppliers. I spoke with Joel Grant, co-founder and CEO of the Garden Tower Project here in Bloomington, about an uptick in garden supply sales and a new product they brought online in recent weeks.
7: The Garden Tower is a organic matter recycling,
2: food growing, vegetable and herb and greens growing machine. It's roughly four feet tall once it's assembled. It's terracotta colored and it's scalloped. It's a circle, but it's got bumps that come out that allow, that's where the pockets are that allow you to grow. And it's got a pretty um, highly engineered base that allows the whole top of the unit to rotate 360 degrees. So you can optimize for sun if you're in an area that is only part sun or um, a shaded part of the day. And then it has a drawer in the bottom that captures all of the overwater, so to speak. And that's a pretty nutrient-dense liquid. And you use that to then pour back over the top of the tower so you don't lose any of the nutrients. It takes roughly six cubic feet of soil. And then there's a tube down the center with a lot of holes in it for the worms and that's where the red wiggler worms and the, comp- the, the vermicomposting. That's about the Garden Tower, the product, but Garden Tower Project as the company has a mission to try to create products and, and ideas that will make uh, sustainable gardening available to everybody no matter where they live.
0: That's Christy Arms. She's the COO with the Garden Tower Project. The latest iteration of the Garden Tower is manufactured here in Indiana using an injection mold process. When the coronavirus hit the U.S. and Joel heard that there was a shortage of protective equipment, such as face masks, he started reviewing what was happening in the open-source 3D printing community.
7: The DIY tech community, these millions of 3D printers and engineers at all different levels, completely amateur to the most professional Uh, started looking for solutions and designing their own
3: solutions.
0: He saw a product called a mask frame that seemed to work well. A mask frame is a thin frame of plastic that holds a piece of cloth or filter material close to a user's face without needing to sew a mask. It can be reused by simply replacing the cloth or filter material. Blue shop towels work really well. Joel saw the design and he knew that it could be easily adapted to injection mold production.
7: And 3D printing is very slow. A molded part can be made in a fraction of a minute instead of 15 or 15 minutes plus. It can also be made less expensively. The material is less money, and these presses can run all day long, and it's what they're made to do. So he
0: contacted one of their manufacturing partners in Columbus, Indiana. They were up and running within two weeks of deciding on the design. The product took off, and since then, they have been full steam ahead trying to keep up with demand. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, they had shipped more than 20,000 orders. In addition to the face mask frames, their garden supply business has doubled this season. The garden towers were on back order when we spoke. Joel says he and the team at the Garden Tower Project are happy to be able to contribute and to make a difference. Joel says he's grateful for the entire Garden Tower team for making this happen, and to Mark Fuller, the open source engineer in Cincinnati who developed the design for this mask. We are out of time, sadly. Next week, we'll hear from more folks from the local food scene, including Jeff Meese of One World Enterprises. And we'll talk with Eric Shedler of Money Fork Bakery about the many changes they've made to their business model. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next week.
6: The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. EarthEats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey.
0: Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the Expected. More at BillRushinsurance.com. Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent, providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net.